Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking. And I am your host, Philip Anthony. I am so glad that you've chosen to join us today, and I hope you're all doing what? Fantabulous. <laughs> and that's fantastic and fabulous. Put together twice as nice, right? Absolutely right. <laughs> My special guest today is probably somebody you've heard quite often if you listen to AM 950. His name is Patrick Lilia. He's the play-by-play sportscaster and on-air producer, engineer, and announcer for AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the only progressive voice of Minnesota. Hello, Patrick, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show today. Thank you, Philip, so much for having me on. As I said right before we started, I've been looking forward to this for several weeks since we set this up. We had to push it back once because of the weather last week. Only a few days, but I was still sad because I've been looking forward to this so yeah, much. So have I. And thank you for joining us today. And, and uh, this is going to be a great show. Um, before we delve into your amazing career, would you like to tell the listeners about your early years, like where you went to school, where you were born, you know, where you had your childhood days? I was born right here in the Twin Cities area um, in Edina, which is, uh, for those who may not know, I'm sure you do, but it's a suburb of of Minneapolis. It's only only about 10 minutes from the radio station. It's where I was born. I lived in the Twin Cities my entire life except for when I went to college. Um, I've lived in several different suburbs of the Twin Cities. Uh, My longest family home was actually up in Elk River on the northwest side. I lived there for actually well into my adulthood as well before I relocated down here to be closer to AM 950 when I when I started here. And I uh, went to high school at the International School of Minnesota, which is also actually very, very close to this radio station too, only about not even five minutes away. So I kind of feel like, in a way, everything's kind of come full circle that, you know, everything that know, was part of my childhood, my, my grandparents' home that my mom now owns, my high school, my employment. It's all right back where it all started. All roads lead to Edina. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And and uh, what college did you attend again? I attended the University of Wisconsin-Superior. Uh, that was uh, 2009 to 2013. I got a degree in journalism. Um, I spent a lot of time working in the campus radio station that was kind of my home away from home when I was on campus. I loved being there. I was a uh, DJ for the uh, weeknight jazz program, and then I was eventually given uh, the title of sports director, which I enjoyed it, and it looks good on the resume, but it turns out I didn't really do much that my station manager (laughs) didn't already do while I was there. So you did the play-by-play for the local uh, sports team for, I, for your school? I did not. There were already people who had been well-established doing that. Um, oh, I see. Okay. For uh, I, w- I was mostly the one who ran the board. Um, I wanted to get into the play-by-play stuff, but it just wasn't really there because we uh, – the guy who did the uh, uh, the college hockey games for us was kind of a, a local legend in his own right, so there was you know no place for me to – Right, he's, right. As far as I know, he still does them. It's a man named John Garver. He's uh, you know, certainly one of the people who I credit for helping me get here to this point today where I'm sitting down with you for this interview. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he he's kind of uh, 
he's kind of a local legend, so there wasn't really anything for me to have a chance to announce in college. Yeah. So um, can you tell the listeners how you got involved in sports casting? Did, you, did your love of sports prepare you to pursue a career in that field, or did an event happen, or just liking sports in general? Or It, it was kind of both. And uh, there's there's a saying, not just in media, but you know, and probably a lot of other fields as well. But it's not what you know, but it's who you know. And it's still one of the well, wild that's true. Yes. yes, it's still one of the wildest stories I think that has ever happened in my life. And I insist everything about this is absolutely true. So, several years ago, I began dating someone who lived in the Dallas, Texas area. Well, my then partner had a close friend who lived up here in the Twin Cities, and that person knew Brett Johnson. So that was how I got in touch with Brett Johnson, of course, the production manager at AM 950, but he also does sports casting on the side. So my partner's friend got me involved with Brett, so I came out to uh, kind of as a trial run. We did a couple of games with his uh, former business partner, Kevin, and... You know, they were impressed. I uh, I ran the camera and I did some uh, some color commentary on the side. But where I really got my break was uh, the the following fall. This was the fall of 2016. Um, Brett had the Eden Prairie football games, and uh, so Kevin typically did the play by play for these. But there was a game that he wasn't available, and then the the guy who that they had set up to do one of the games that he couldn't do also came unavailable. So Brett asked, Hey Patrick, do you want to do this? And of course I was absolutely thrilled, but you know, I'd never called a game. I Were didn't you know nervous? How, oh, I was absolutely nervous because <laughs> I felt like it was an audition of sorts to, yeah, you know, sure. say, you know, say like how, how close do you think you actually are to being able to do this? And, uh, uh-huh. So I go out there. The game was actually at the Edina football stadium just a few minutes away from here. And I get over there, and we start calling the game. And, and Brett and the guy, I think his name was Grant, who was on the color commentary, were like, you've never done this before? And I said, no. And they're like, you are absolutely fantastic at this. Look at that. So Why am I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that, that, that was how I kind of got my start. And uh, – Things kind of evolved from there. Brett had a business associate who I got in touch with. He is kind of a hockey mogul around here in the Twin Cities. So uh, that I started calling hockey, and that's actually where I get the bulk of my work, which is kind of funny because hockey is by far not my favorite sport. But it seems to be where I get the vast majority of my, my work. And uh, oh, lots of people say, wow, you're really, really good at this, and... Uh, it, it, it's just kind of taken off from there, and I, you know, I ha- I have several people who, you know, to varying degrees, call, hey Patrick, can you come out and do a game for us, and I'll see if it fits in my schedule or not. But it, it, it's it's been great. It's been you know very eventful last right. few years that I feel like I, I do have a lot of people who who want me to do things for them to to some degree, even if you know sometimes it's just a you know an emergency fill in or you know, but. I, it's really great to know that I feel like I've come a long way. Did you? Is there a sport that you would have preferred to to uh, be doing the play by play? For example, baseball or football or 
something else other than hockey? Well, football's always been my number one sport, and I usually still get to do a couple games a year. Baseball is one that I would love to do more, but it's 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 tough for it's tough to do baseball because. Well, isn't it going to be challenging now with the new rules, especially like because I'm even not familiar with the new rules in baseball. I'm hearing that there's going to be they're going to be timing the pitchers and other things. Um, is that going to be tough? You think for these announcers? Oh well. Well, just to clarify, I work on the high school level, so all of those things don't don't apply oh, at that's that level. True, right? But yeah, we we can certainly talk about that if we want to kind of throw some things in later. But for me, at least, uh, baseball is tough to get because baseball at the high school level is not a high revenue sport, or so it's tough for people to want to send crews out there to cover it because they're not making any money. So I don't get to call a lot of it, and it's a little bit of a disappointment for me. Yeah, it's a great sport, though, when it comes to spending the day with your family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great spectator sport. You know, you bring your whole, your kids and spend the day in the hot sun and <laughs> eat hot dogs and all that stuff. Right. So um, so how did you move from sports casting to working as an announcer and producer engineer for AM 950? And do you currently do, still do, any sports casting? I still do the sports casting on the side. Um, so... What had happened was uh, I have actually – I applied to AM950 once unsuccessfully. I believe it was back in 2017. And uh, so late in, in 2019, Brett said they were looking to make a change with the production staff. And uh, he encouraged me to apply again. And uh, so – at the time, there were three weekday producers, I believe, when I came on board. Uh-huh. And uh, it, sort of in short order, two of them left. And so suddenly, even though I'd only been on the job about six months, I was suddenly the, the main weekday guy. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a, a, a surprise for me because I didn't expect to, you know, I went from working one day a week to sometimes five days a week if I had a weekend shift that week. So it was definitely... It was a great change. I was, you know, very happy like how quickly things worked out in my favor. But yeah, it was, it was a little rough in the beginning because I I'd never worked in commercial radio before until this job. My only experience was was the college radio job that I had talked about earlier, which it, it's funny to think about, but. <laughs> Brett and Chad are way more laid back than the guys I worked for at that <laughs> college radio station. They're really, they're really nice people. Yes, mm-hmm, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, they're not. They're not. You know, with the whip and chain. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but wh- how how can I put this? When you got the job, were you shadowed first? Did somebody like do the work and you watched them or or you did it and they watched you or uh, can you explain that it was sort of a hybrid of that you know i'd come in and i'd train with the with the weekday producers who were there and with brett and it was my second day i was here they were kind of like hey let's you know have you run the board and see how it goes and i remember matt mcneil saying on his way out there have been people who have had a lot worse first days than you have so i think he was already kind of impressed with and Matt's a guy who uh, he doesn't just dole out praise, so I think he really meant that when he said, "Hey, I think you're actually pretty good at this." Yeah, yeah, good. So you you were a perfect fit, basically, right? <laughs> Sounds like it. Well, I've been here three years, so I hope so. <laughs> yeah, good. And um, so, 
When I'm listening to AM 950 radio, I always hear your voice, okay? Either uh, promoting one of the sponsors or giving the weather or whatever you're announcing for that day. I have two questions for you about that. First of all, how and when did you realize you had a great announcer's voice? Did, did somebody tell you that? And second question, to piggyback on that, how enjoyable is it announcing as compared to doing other behind-the-scenes duties for AM950? So let's start with the um, first question, part of the question. You know what's funny? I don't like listening to my voice. I really don't. And um, Really? But, yeah, no. I it, love it. You have an amazing <laughs> announcer. What do you think they hired you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 and I know I'm far from alone in that regard that I just don't like listening to my own voice. But actually, it kind of goes back. When I was in childhood, we took a family road trip to uh, Disneyland. And we were coming home, and we were traveling through New Mexico, and we stopped at a restaurant. I believe it's a Village Inn, which, if you're not familiar with that, is very similar to a, a Perkins type of place. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the waiter had been, you know, going back and forth, and he, you know, heard me talking to my family, and he said, you know, commented, "Do you know how great of a voice you have?" Then <laughs> I was uh, like about 13 years old at the time, and. You know, I think he asked if I'd had vocal lessons or anything like that, which I hadn't because I'd never really thought about anything like that. And I'd always been enamored with the sports announcers that I would watch on TV. And those guys were kind of my my heroes, whether it was Pat Summerall. He was at the very end of his career when I – I remember him, yeah. When I – started watching sports, but he he was a football broadcaster, a very famous one. Also guys like Vin Scully, who you know, we sadly we just lost, I believe, last year. We just year. lost Tim McCarver, too. Tim right? McCarver as well. Um, yeah. So th- those were the guys who kind of influenced me as a sportscaster, you know, even though they were kind of at the very end of their, their careers when I came of age. And... Um, but to go back to what you were saying a little earlier, yeah, it was typically, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14 was, was when I started having people go, wow, you have a voice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And and the second part of the question, um, as compared to your behind-the-scenes duties, uh, how do you c- compare those two? Uh, do you like one better than the other? Or I, I do really like when I get to announce things, whether it's well, the weather it's used, or if it's uh, taping an ad – um, typically, there are probably a few things that you hear me monthly. Oh, it's Patrick reading something different for this advertiser this month. Um, typically, I, I enjoy doing the uh, I, I enjoy doing the voiceover stuff because it's a little bit of a challenge because there are little nuances for everything that you do. Depending on, am I supposed to be energetic in selling this? Is it supposed to be a little more solemn because you know it's a it's an ad about you know, drugs in schools or, you know, right. texting while driving that, I, you know, has to be a little bit more of a serious tone. And right. every once in a while, like, I get I get an ad that's that kind of becomes sort of a hybrid of that where I kind of have to, you know, shift my tone midway through to kind of make you sort of, you know, think about, hey, you know, this is fun, but also kind of, you know, think about this sort of, you know, little more serious backdrop that, that's part of this advertisement as well. So, I like the challenge of it because it, it's it's they're they're all different and they're it's always a you know nuances yeah. to to work through. Yeah, you have to 
correct me if I'm wrong, you have to bring out the feeling of what you're saying depending on what it is. For example, if you're advertising a happy occasion, you have to, your voice has to change in a happy tone. Am I right? And, yes. And if it's sad, if you're announcing, you know, you're advertising for a, you know, I don't know if you advertise for a, a funeral home or something, you have to obviously change that. So, and you do that amazingly well. You really do. And I, I you know, I know I praise you all the time, but, um, and I'm sure the listeners that do listen to AM 950, they re- realize it's not easy. You know, I mean, I have to come down to your level to speak like you, <laughs> you know, because I have a higher, you know, pitch to my voice. But uh, you do an amazing job. Did you ever um, uh, advertise for a uh, – not advertise, but um, announce for a particular sponsor that was difficult, that you, you it was challenging for you? Yes, there was one – um, that that was kind of like illustrating sort of the change in tone because it was sort of uh, it was sort of like an ad bet- that was a cross between a, a muscle car show and a assisted living slash hospice care facility in the oh, wow. same in, in the, the same advertising. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind wow. of you know I was starting off like you know. To, to one of the one of the announcers like the imitators, they're kind of starting off like like Monster Jam, sort of like that, and then kind of you know get and through you did it. That? And, <laughs> and I'm like yeah, because I'm like well yeah, because you know you know big buff guys coming out to a car show that you know right 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but then you know it's kind of a well yeah while you're there you know check out our you know facilities you know in case mom needs to be put. Yeah, and, assisted and living. Assisted living. Yeah. So you got to act. Yeah. So you're going from this, you know, ag- aggressive kind of voice to a more subtle, calming mm-hmm. voice. That, mm-hmm. And that takes talent, I would say. Yeah. Um, so occasionally, uh, you have produced this show and other shows on AM 950. Can you tell the listeners what your duties are when it comes to the production? And as a follow-up to that question, what are some of your responsibilities when you are engineering on an um, on-air radio show for the uh, station? Well, to keep it short, it, it depends on whether we're taping it pre-recorded or whether we're doing it live. Some of the things will be the same, which will be mostly to check the sound levels, make sure everything sounds good when the recording's done, to make sure it's edited properly, make sure it's... Know, boost it up to a level that's suitable for radio. So there are some things that are going to be the same across the board. Uh, you know, making sure it gets podcasted. Uh, that's a lot of that's my responsibility. Brett will do some of that as well. Um, that that's kind of the, the short of what it entails. It's basically, just making sure you hear your programming and it sounds good and you have access to it. Yeah, and. Other than the Downright Upright show, are there other podcasts that are simply just podcasts, not radio uh, shows? Or am I the only one at this point? I don't want to. I don't want to, of course, push anybody out on the on the. Uh, I don't want to diss anybody, but as far as I know, right now you're the only one that's just like that. And somebody's going to write me an angry, "Hey, you forgot about my show." But, <laughs> no, but as far as I know, no. But I was, I was told, and I went into this knowing that that's what I was doing. And because podcasting is, you know, I, I never put it down because it is the nouveau way of getting to young people. Because that's what I think 
this station is going for at this point. Because remember, AM 950 has an older demographic. And podcasting is what, Patrick? It's a young thing, right? Young people listen to podcasts. So I I think I'm doing that that work, correct? Absolutely. And I think you're doing a great job with that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I I hope my listeners feel the same way (laughs) as you do. Anyway... um, so now let's get into something a little more serious here. Um, so you've confided in me that you are on the autism spectrum, and I want to first thank you for agreeing to share that with our audience. Um, could you talk a little about your journey in terms of defining your personal identity and how that has influenced your relationships with other people? Yes, of course. So I was diagnosed with what was formerly commonly known in the United States as Asperger's syndrome. That term has largely fallen out of favor, both for professional and ethical reasons, although I believe other English-speaking nations still widely use the term, I think the UK being one of them. But uh, I was sort of unofficially, officially diagnosed. I actually had a conversation with my mom last year, and she said, well... We decided against getting you officially diagnosed because we were worried about the effect it would have on you with your schooling or if they would you know, want you to go into special programs or anything like that. She, she, she called the – she said I was, quote, barely autistic, which that's kind of a, a problem in itself because, as you said, it's kind of a spectrum. And one way that I've heard it put is – um, some of some of you for more familiar with autism may have heard of, uh, you know, the terms high functioning, low functioning, and sort of that. And those terms kind of serve as problems in the community because it it, it sort of it sort of dismisses the challenges that high functioning people, quote unquote, face, and dismisses the talents and abilities that quote low functioning people have. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why in in the autistic community that we've kind of tried to move away from from functioning labels just because it it just doesn't paint a good picture of the individual. Yeah. So maybe you can tell the audience what are some uh, misunderstandings about uh, autism and what people – you know, some people say – you know, you know how the rumors go around about certain things. What what would you like to clear up? I guess is what I'm asking about about the misunderstandings of autism. Well, I think one of the main ones is that it's believed that autistic people don't feel empathy, and it's actually the reverse. And the myself and like the other autistic people that I know in my life, we we feel so much empathy sometimes that it just kind of overwhelms us. And I think that's kind of where that, that label comes in that it just, it just gets to be too much. Then we just kind of, well, we just kind of need to push ourselves away from that because it, it just gets so overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's also, you know, sort of the, uh, the stereotype of the autistic savant, which uh, most of us are not quite that brilliantly abled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And and, and I'm going to tell you something you probably don't know. Um, so in, in my day job, I'm a flight attendant with uh, a major airline. And um, my best – one of my best friends, one of my dear friends, she runs the autism um, – uh, um, 
we have an autism uh, day every every month where we have children who are on the spectrum come to come to the airport and we put them on an airplane and we make believe that it's kind of like uh, they're going on vacation. So they learn about the airplane and stuff like that. And it's something I do and volunteer on my time. So she always asks me, Philip, we need more flight attendants to come down and, you know, because you can't board the plane without flight attendants. In other words, if she was by herself, she couldn't get those children on the plane. So I just wanted you to know that I am, you know, I am backing you 100%. And I think it's, uh, you know, again, those those false um, ideas of what, autism is. I'm glad you cleared up some of them. Um, there's also another one I heard, which uh, and you can tell me if this is true or not. People have um, an idea that they are inappropriate. Did you hear that one? I've heard that one many times as well. Um, can you clear that one up? Because that's not true. No, it's not true. We, we just have a little bit of trouble sometimes, I think, really understanding boundaries. And it's not... It's not because we mean badly, and I'm not saying right. that, you know, boundaries are boundaries. That's, you know, not negotiable. We just uh-huh. sort of sometimes, I think, have a little bit of trouble understanding that, you know, this is okay, this is not okay. And uh, right. so that that kind of comes with some of the social skill difficulties that I went through and I still kind of go through a little bit. But I kind of want to go back because you, you did ask, of course, about – you know, my personal journey, which um, I'm sure you might understand this as well. It's it's not a linear journey. Like, it's not, you know, I was here and then I you went know, there. Yeah, because yeah, mm-hmm. I, I kind of – because when I, when I was in high school, I was pretty embarrassed about being autistic. It was – it created a lot of social difficulties. I had a very difficult time socially with – with my peers in high school. Um, yep, so sounds familiar because the same thing with being a gay boy, you know, I, I was picked on like all the time, Patrick, all the time. I mean, kids, kids can be mean. Yes. Very mean. And whether you're a gay child, an autistic child, a heavy child, you know, overweight child, whatever your, your, your uh, condition is, they always, harp on that and and pick on you and make you feel less than and um but look wh- look where we are and look where <laughs> they probably are now <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> uh, fortunately for me i didn't go through the the bullying and certainly of course my heart goes out to everyone who did and may still struggle with the with those traumatic days but for me my my problem was fitting in my problem was interacting with other people appropriately um so when I when I got out of high school and I went to college, there was actually sort of – it was in my junior year of college and there was an event. There was two things that happened pretty much I think in the same week. And uh, so my college ran a program kind of about – I don't know if you've heard of this or if the listeners may have. It was called Boxes and Walls and it was kind of meant to show you sort of – you know, a little slice of what some, you know, various groups go through, you know, on the inside that you probably don't see as an outsider. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, there was a, there was a a Native American section where, you know, like, oh, you just signed over all of your property and possessions. Um, 
because that's unfortunately what, you know, what white Americans did when they colonized the United States, which was basically, you know, force, you know, the Native Americans to sign treaties that a lot of them didn't understand because, of course, you know, they didn't really speak English. They were at a disadvantage in, you know, many ways with against against the colonists and you know they didn't know what they were agreeing to and sort of uh you know it it was things like that so anyway there was one section about um and featuring a a person playing a uh with with a with a mental condition and uh, I think yeah I don't think it was autism but it was something very relatable to me and I kind of it it kind of got me fired up in sort of a in sort of a way that I don't think that was the intent of the uh, um, of the skit, but I still felt very fired up by like you know like angry. You yeah, mean. yeah. Okay. So that kind of caused me to change my thinking a little bit about my autism. And then the other thing was very shortly after that, it was spring break, so I went home and I was visiting my dad. And my dad was not very supportive of my autism journey. Um, he he was uh, he was a very blue collar sort of alpha male type of person, and he saw it as you know there is nothing good that can come from being autistic. There is you know you don't want this out there you don't want people to know about this you want to i'm so sorry to hear that no it's okay but uh dear um that that was just kind of his view on it and i still i still struggle with it now but anyway so i went home to visit him and it's about 21 years old and uh at the time and and so i went home to visit him and uh so we were sitting in the in the room that he lived in at his friend's house in his final couple years of his life and we got on the conversation about about autism somehow and I don't remember what I said but he said something to the effect of you've you know you've I think we might have been talking about dating, which I think you and I are going to get into later about that. But it, but basically, I you know, I was saying, like, well, how do I, you know, talk about my autism with, you know, a potential partner? And he said, well, maybe you just shouldn't. Maybe you should just, you know, pretend that you don't have it because, you, you know, you've come a long way. You've defeated it. And I kind of sat there and I was thinking about and I didn't say anything to him. But I'm like, I don't think I can do that mm-hmm. because – you know, I, I couldn't. I mean, this this was this was a part of me that, you know, I, I felt finally, you know, a little bit more at peace with. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but to kind of say though, it's not a linear journey. Is I I was kind of, you know, because after that I went on a, a on a on a roll. I was really positive about myself and. You know, I think I reached a point where I said to myself, okay, well, that's great that you're, you know, happy with, you know, being proud of your autism, but what now? And then I kind of started sliding backwards. And I kind of, you know, have kind of struggled to get back to where I was a few years ago regarding being autistic, you know, and sort of being a, 
you know, being proud of it and, you know, bettering myself in the in the way that I, you know, think that I should try to understand who I am. Right, right. Well, I again, um, I just want to thank you for this is a personal journey that you're you're you've gone through and are going through. And to share it with the uh, listeners is so amazing. I mean, I hope it's cathartic for you. Because um, I I know when I talk about my journey, you know, the abuse um, that I uh, experienced as a child from my stepfather and then the kids in school and et cetera, I find it cathartic to talk about it, you know, because, you know, um, talking about things that are uncomfortable sometimes makes you meet you get to the point where you can say, okay, I'm accepting that and now I've passed that. I Look where I am now. Does that make sense, Patrick? Yes, absolutely. And you, you have look 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 what you've done. I mean, you're 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 an announcer for a, for a radio station. You you're a producer. You're an um, an engineer, um, and that's amazing. And you should be very very proud of yourself. And just like I'm very very proud. Of me. I mean, I've come a long way. I never thought I'd make it in, in life. You know, because after you get that self esteem attacked constantly, you think, oh, I'm never going to make anything out of myself. But I did. I went to school. I, I, I did some work in legal studies. I became a flight attendant, and now I'm doing a podcast. So I, I think I've done pretty well for myself, and I, I think you and I should be very proud of ourselves. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Um, so now let's talk about um, what we identify as. Now, I told the audience, and I'm sure you know that I identify as gay, and and I'm and I'm proud of that now. I used to be so closeted. I hated myself so badly, and that's something that we've overcome. You, you, you with your autism, me with my, you know, my the fact that I'm in the LGBTQ plus community. I love it now. I love it. You don't like me for that? Good for you. I I'll move on. You know, because <laughs> it doesn't bother me anymore. But I identify as gay, and you've shared with me. That you identify somewhere on the demiromantic asexual spectrum. So that's also in the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Firstly, can you explain what that means? Because I personally don't know exactly what that is. I know what asexual is, obviously. But demiromantic, can you explain that? And, and the asexuals for some people who don't know what that is. And secondly, can you tell us about the struggle that you experienced growing up as a young person? Well, basically to begin, demi-romantic means that if there's a a person that I feel I want to be romantically involved with, I have to get to know them quite well. It has happened more than a few times that it has been someone who I have known for years before, and it's almost like a light switch going off, you know. Today I may think of this person as just a friend, and tomorrow I'm just head over heels. It's 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 it it has been that, and it could be of either. Excuse me for interrupting. It could be of either gender, right? Or it has to be female. Uh, well, of course, for either gender, for for whatever um, whatever you uh, whatever you personally identify as. Okay, so um, it could be a queer person. Yes. It could be a heterosexual person. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yes. So yes, they can be of any sort of orientation or or uh, inclination or. But yeah, so so you have to have strong bonding feelings for mm-hmm. that person. Yep. Yeah, and like I said, it, it can happen overnight, and uh, um, 
And you can develop a very strong relationship with someone like that, correct? Yes. Um, unfortunately, in my case, none of the people that I have become interested in were interested in reciprocating. So, you know, that – Join that, the club. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married now, but it took me 50 uh, – no, excuse me, 47 years to meet my husband. I had an ex, but that's that's a whole story. It's another show <laughs> itself. But, um, uh, yeah, so there's hope for you yet. Yeah, you're 30 – what did you say? You're 32? 32, yes. Yeah, I've, I was 47 before I met my husband. And he is the light of my life. I, I would never – I can't even imagine living without him. So um, don't fret. It's going to happen <laughs> because you're an amazing person. And, you know, I believe good goes to good, you know. And um, and, and as far as the um, second part, the asexual part, uh, what is, explain that as well. It, it's kind of interesting because I think it, it, that's kind of a spectrum in itself. And – there was a friend of mine who I'll credit because he was going through a lot of these same questions and his journey kind of is where I kind of watched him and the things he was going through and saying, hey, that sounds a lot like me. And I don't want to give his name out, but if he listens to this, just know that I, I do thank him for you know helping me sort of find my way too, even if that wasn't obviously his intention because he was – you know, going on his own journey, and I was watching it and just saying, like, hey, that looks like me, too. And uh, I think I came to a lot of the conclusions because of this person. And uh, so... Was that a, was was going through all of these um, parts of the spectrum for you, were they a struggle growing up, though? Or was it... Did, did you find it easy to navigate through that? I guess for me... Um, it was just always like that. And I know for other people it was it was a lot more of a struggle and I'm certainly not dismissing anyone who had gone through. But for me it was just like what's the big deal about I don't I don't know like how I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but you know, when, when people would you know, and of course in high school when people become, you know, more involved in, in investigating their sexuality and uh, you know, and you know, especially as a young adult, when you when you when you would start to meet people who were not happy with their current, you know, I'll I'll be blunt about this. You know, like I, I haven't gotten any in you know a week or a couple weeks, and I'd be like, "What's the big deal?" Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, it's like why you know you don't really need that that badly. Yeah, I, I, th- I think a lot of young people focus too much on that. Rather than the relationship aspect of it, the connection, right? Yeah, but I mean, even when I was, you know, becoming an adult and, uh, you know, you know, and I'll again be, you know, not, you know, I don't want to be too general, but, you know, of course, sexual issues break up marriages if if one person is feeling unsatisfied and, and again, like, you know, now I'm in my adult, you know, an adult and I'm still going... What's the big deal about that? Like, why is that something that you would, you know, break up a marriage with somebody that you deeply care for? Is this really that big a deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, just to go back to what you were saying earlier, it would, it, I'd just been always like that. It wasn't, I didn't feel uh, marginalized. I didn't feel like it was, I didn't feel picked on. I didn't feel yeah. like... I didn't feel like there was really something. I didn't even really feel like there was anything wrong with me. I just kind of was. Uh, so you accepted it. Yeah. And it was easy for you. Yeah. And that's great. And and again, on that 
issue as well. I want to thank you for sharing that with the audience because, again, this is a personal thing you're sharing with everyone, and it takes uh, – it's very cathartic, I think, personally, to come out and t- t- speak your truth. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah. That's... Anyway, so now, guess what? We've come to that part of the show I like to call the shift. And remember, it's with an F because if you don't say the F – we have problems. Um, where I shift the questioning away from your career and to your opinions on current affairs. Now we're going to talk about the uh, – can I say the S word of the show? Of course. The shit show that we <laughs> are experiencing in this country. As of the taping of this show, we have learned that cell phone text evidence in the Dominion voting systems defamation suit against Fox News revealed that Tucker Carlson – Sean Hannity et al. intentionally lied to their audiences about the election being stolen. What are your thoughts about this and what should be done to make sure it never happens again? Now, how could that even be be allowed to happen, lying to an audience? Well, I, I think what's finally going to get their attention is this looks like this lawsuit has a very good chance of being successful against these Fox News employees as well as News Corp for I – th- I think one of the big problems, unfortunately, is and, – and I'm saying this to be in, to be realistic. I'm not saying this because I support or oppose anything, but just because of the First Amendment, the bar f- to prove defamation or libel and slander is very, very high in the United States. It is, yeah. And uh, – so the fact that Dominion has gotten as far as they have, I think it's just kind of a win in itself. And the fact that, you know, money talks and I think, you know, hitting Fox News with the nut with high, with some heavy legal damages is probably going to get their attention. But for, you know, if you go back probably about 20 years ago, Fox News was sued. This, is, this isn't really out in the open that much, but... Fox News was sued before for misinformation, you know, 20 years ago, and they argued in court that, you know, we don't have to tell the truth because, you know, we're protected by the First Amendment and that, you know, the court yeah, agreed you, with them. Did you believe that? Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is, so don't, do you think they should change their name to F-A-U-X <laughs> Fox News? <laughs> because it's not news. If, if you're saying what you want to say – how could you call yourself a journalist? How can you, you know, the straight face say what I'm saying is true? Like alternative facts. Remember what was her name? Uh, Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> she coined that term. Uh, it's crazy. And plus, uh, not only that, um, and see if you follow me here. Dominion is a business, okay? They're, they're trying to sell election machines, voting machines, you know? And by you constantly saying these are these are rigged and they're not you know, good and don't buy them and we should stop using them. What's going to happen to the – they're destroying their business and it's not true. Everything they're saying about these machines is not true. So they're they're being hurt financially by this. Their reputation is is, is has been sully, sullied, you know. So uh, don't you think they'll win just for, on that alone? Um I certainly would like to think so. I think they, like I said before, of course, prove, proving defamation that you have been caused harm, at least in the United States compared to other nations, is very high. And, yes. But I, I think they have demonstrated that they have 
the goods. Yes, and that they, <laughs> that, 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 yes. that harm has been caused to them by you know, Fox News and Donald Trump and his supporters. Oh, yeah. Now let's let's segue into more of Fox News because we just love talking about <laughs> Fox News. Can you give us your opinion about Kevin McCarthy giving exclusive access to Tucker Carlson? Okay, these thousands of hours of sensitive security camera video recordings of the Capitol from January 6th without the approval of the Capitol Police. What are your feelings about that? Well, I certainly think that's extremely unethical, and it probably could compromise any um, sort of investigations that are still pending, having that video be out in the open like that. So I think there is you know, certainly a lot of legal damage that could be done, especially as as it relates to any pending investigations that might still be in the works. I'm assuming not assuming, but I'm aware that there's still there is still a lot going on. You know, a lot of the, a lot of those people are still facing charges, and you know they're still searching for other people involved in, in the riot. And uh, so I think it I think it's it's just a huge it's 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 a huge uh, it it certainly compromises the investigation. Yes, but do you think now if you're giving this um, security uh, footage to only one network, okay? Um, and this network tends to, well, doesn't tend to, but is more right of center than any other station I can imagine, in my, other than maybe Newsmax. But um, if you give this footage to them, can they use this? Like if there's another insurrection, they, they'll see all the maps of the inside, the, uh, you know, the, the, the hallways and doors and entrances to different offices. Do you think that's going to compromise the safety of, of these Congress people? Or do you think that's what they're doing with it? Or am I being too <laughs> conspiratorial here? That's uh, certainly a possibility as well. I don't want to speculate on any particular motive other than, you know, obviously Fox News wants to paint a picture that, you know, these people were heroes who were just doing what they thought was the right thing. And It was a tourist uh, – what was it called? What did they call it? A tourist uh, excursion? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> of course, we had several members of Congress give these people tours the day before it all happened. Yes, yes. Absolutely. That that did happen. So um, uh, stay tuned for this. This is something I think is very, very precarious and, and dangerous. Um, moving on to the next subject of, of Nikki Haley. You, you know who she is, right? Yes. <laughs> As you know, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley was quoted saying that DeSantis didn't go far enough with the don't say gay bill. She said teaching sex to children – from kindergarten to third grade should be illegal, and I agree that should teaching sex. See, that's that's where she's trying to mislead. <laughs> um, so, why do people think just talking about the existence of LGBTQ plus people is talking about sex? If that were true, would talking about straight people be talking about sex, straight sex? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I know this sounds very illogical, but. Bear with me with this because if you if you basically are calling LGBTQ plus people sexual, mm-hmm. that all we are is a bundle of a ball of sex, and we don't we don't have feelings and emotions and 
you know, people we love, you're dehumanizing us. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. And I, I and I do want to say that while certainly these the 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 primary target of these bills are the LGBTQ plus community, and that's certainly a travesty, and it should be stopped. But I think there is an undercurrent that that they do want to remove any discussion of any sort of you know sexual activity, whether you know. You know, they think that, you know, the woman should be, you know, barefoot and pregnant at 21. She should never leave the house. All she should basically be is a baby-making machine for a man. We don't want her to learn anything else but that. Sounds like a movie I just saw, Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, while, while I agree with you that, that I think the primary target is the LGBTQ plus community, I think there is certainly, you know, we, you know, don't want to have any sort of discussion of, you know, bodies or, you know, what's going to be happening to, you know, people as they be, you know, the children, as they become teenagers and, you know, and that, unfortunately, that, that typically leads to very high rates of, higher rates of teenage pregnancy in, in states like Alabama and Mississippi, where, you know, they, they pretty much, you know, expect, you know, no sex before marriage sort of thing. And that's just not how real life is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, again, I think with this, talking about LGBTQ plus people as sexual, yeah, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm much more than my sexuality. Absolutely. As a person, I mean, I have, I have feelings, I have emotions, I, I have family, you know, I don't want, I, I, I think the fact that they're saying we don't want to teach this in to kindergarten, it's, it's, it's kind of yeah. like they're saying we want to teach gay sex, Yeah, you know, and I and I don't think that's going on at all. I, no. I never heard of such a thing in no, my entire life all. that any kindergarten teacher would be saying, well, you know, little boys that are gay do this to other – no, no, that's mm-hmm. not yeah. happening. No, it's not. And, and, and the fact that she brought it up is very, very insulting and damaging to our community. Yes. And, uh, you know, as you were saying, like it, it's – it, it 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 does seem like that is a very common, you know, right wing. Yeah, it's 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 conspiracy. Yes. It's, it's a way to get people's butt. You know, I I spoke about this on um, when I was interviewing JP. Um, the, the way I think Republicans get butts to the polls is othering people. Yep. Do you do do you follow me? Like I think if you say you know those. Those black people are coming for you. Mm-hmm. Or if you say those gay people are grooming your children, you know, it sounds like, I mean, you and I are looking at each other like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But there are people out there that really, really, really think that that's happening. No, yeah, that is absolutely what you're saying. Because uh, a friend of mine had pointed out that uh, while, while the attack on the trans community at the state level is not really new, but he he pointed out that since the right wingers sort of got their way on abortion with Roe v. Wade being overturned last summer, that they need something new to try to get people to come to the polls. So yeah, because they lost that as an issue. Yeah, That's a good point. Yeah, yes. so now now the attention has turned to transgender people. And, of course, you see just these horrible mm-hmm. – you know, these states trying to one-up each other, whether it's Tennessee or Texas or – Florida and they're and, and and they're kind of 
like, okay, well, Tennessee's bill, you know, goes this far, so we're going to try to take it a step further. And then, you know, Florida says, well, Texas's bill does this, so we're going to take it another step further. And they're just trying to kind of outdo each other with these horrible bills that yeah. you know, are going to do nothing but just cause pain and and just terrific discrimination and mm-hmm. just awful things. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping, though, that um, Americans have hearts and they understand that there are people that are different and we all are different. I mean, this, you know, for God's sake, this is the United States of America. It's not, we're not a homogenous country to begin with. And uh, there's LGBTQ plus people in every country. Does that make sense? Yes. So I, 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 I think, I'm hoping that people's humanity comes before their hatred of other, of othering other people. Um, let's move on to something that's, I mean, affect. I mean, this really affects me, um, I, not personally, but emotionally. Uh, we have just passed the one-year anniversary of the Ukraine-Russia uh, war, Russia-Ukraine war, however you want to. I like to put Ukraine first, but Russia has been uh, intentionally targeting civilians in the war to bring down the morale in the country. What do you think should be done about these crimes against humanity, and what should the UN do about it, rather than just scolding Russia? Well, the problem with the United Nations kind of is lies in how the governance of it works, and um, it's a paper tiger, as far as I, I'm yes. concerned. Doesn't so, do anything. Yes, yeah, so. So, of course, I'm not an expert on the United Nations, and everyone listening to this should go fact-check this. But basically the short of it is that when the United Nations was formed, five countries were given ultimate veto power over any course of action that may be taken by the body. Those countries being the United States, the United Kingdom, France, the Soviet Union, which was inherited by Russia following that country's collapse, and – China, which that was originally held by uh, what is now Taiwan, but now that's controlled by the uh, by mainland China, the uh, Beijing. Um, but yeah. anyway, so these five countries were given what was called the United Nations Security Council permanent membership, and they have ultimate veto power over anything that the body does, and so right. any action against Russia. All they have to do is veto it. It doesn't matter if it's 100 to 1. It doesn't matter if it's – because all that matters is Russia has ultimate veto power over mm-hmm. any action that the United Nations may try to take against it. Yeah, but why do you – it's amazing to me though that they're targeting you know, civilians in this war, killing children, um, hospital, bombing hospitals, doing all this stuff and, and – other countries are siding with them. They're saying, "Okay, this is cool." You know, um, does what are your what's your opinion about that? How why do you think they're doing that? Is it political? Maybe. I certainly think there's some political ambition for a country like China, which has you know, sort of been driven through some of its own skeletons in the closet that they're kind of struggling to be a major player on the world stage in the last couple of years. So they've kind of cozied up with Russia because they see the Russia and China don't see a lot of opposition to the United States internationally right now. So they're Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, 
the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of thing. I don't I don't know what those countries are. Right. You know. But do you think it's uh, – uh, the 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 fact that they're both autocracies does that have anything to do? Do you think they they're promoting you know that uh, dictatorial type of government? Rather, because we're, remember the United States and, and the West, all of the countries in Western Europe, they're all democracies. You know, so do you think that they're just trying to you know knock democracy down brick by brick, or what do you think of that? I don't. I I'm, that might be part of it, but my my gut is they're just. They're just struggling to find friends in the world right now. And so they just see Russia and China just kind of see each other as, you know, you're one of the the very few countries standing up to the United States right now. Let's get together. Yeah, yeah. So I, I let's move a little bit towards um, – I, I, I don't usually do a lot of Minnesota state uh, uh, politics, but I want to do this today because this is important. So the Minnesota State Legislature has passed or is about to pass so much important legislation uh, since the Democrats took over, right? For example, I'm going to name just a couple of things, and this is just really crazy when you think about it. For example, uh, mandating paid sick days, paid family leave, uh, legalization of marijuana, driver's licenses for non-citizens, Banning conversion therapy, which is great, um, the catalytic converter bill, and so much more. Can you explain why such accomplishments can only continue by keeping the House and Senate blue? Well, my view is that the Minnesota GOP is not for anything. They're simply against, against things like, well, we don't want paid sick leave. Well, why? Because we don't want it. Um, well, we don't want legal marijuana. Well, why? Because we don't want, we it. Don't want it. And uh, so the only way anything was going to get done was for one party or the other to take total control of the state government. I agree 100%. Yeah. And I'm I'm honestly a little bit – I don't want to say surprised. I should say pleasantly, pleasantly surprised because – Especially on the minute on the Senate side, where the where the DFL only has one seat of advantage in the state Senate, um, how far some of the these initiatives have gone, especially with things like clean energy, because I know one the one person that Brett and I had talked about was the the guy who represents the area that includes Hermantown and the Iron Range area, and Brett and I were kind of like that guy's never going to agree to any sort of major environmental reforms, and he uh-huh. did. We and I was absolutely I was pleasantly surprised that that he would because I thought no, there's no way the guy who represents the Iron Range is going to agree to that, and he did. Yeah, so there are some people who do have values, right? Um, so, um, I wanted to ask you a question that I, I, I ask every, um, guest because now that we're in the political, political election voting era, you know, 2023, um, we're going to be starting our primary soon in the country. I want to know what your opinion is of who do you think will win? Again, this is a prognostication. Um, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But I've asked everyone and some people gave me some really interesting <laughs> answers. Um, who do you think will be the Democratic nominee for president? And who do you think will be the Republican nominee for president? 
On the Democratic side, I'm feeling pretty confident it'll be Joe Biden again. Um, mm-hmm. I okay. I don't deal too much on whether he should or should not. That's not really my business at this point. I, I, I kind of think it, un, un, unless he's not running, no one else is going to run. Okay. Um, at least that's my view on it. On the Republican side, I'm still fairly confident it will be – It'll be Donald Trump oh, geez. one more time. Um, and that's for a number of reasons. That The first thing is, even though the establishment wants Ron DeSantis, Rupert Murdoch wants Ron DeSantis, and he'll push Ron DeSantis on Fox News, and mm-hmm. Fox News doesn't cast any votes. They, in, of course, influence voters, a lot of them, but... By lying, yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but but at least in my view... The electorate, by and large, still wants Donald Trump. And, oh, yeah. um, and if there's a big field, you know, um, he's got a 25% like hardcore support group, you know. Yeah. So that, you're right. I think it could be him. Yeah. And um, I, I just think, and this is this is kind of my, this is a cynical and pessimistic take, but I do firmly believe it, that you know, Donald Trump is an authentically cruel human, and I, I think <laughs> I, agree. I think a lot of the 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 people who have come, whether it's Ted Cruz or Ron DeSantis or whoever, that have kind of tried to pick up the pieces of of you know what was left in the wake of Trump losing the twenty twenty election, you know. And this is going to sound strange because obviously there was a lot of you know horrible legislation being passed in places like Florida, but it, it I just feel like those those people they they cannot match the authentic cruelty of what Donald Trump was pushing that mm-hmm. that has appealed to a, you know not all of his base. I don't want to generalize that, but you know either that that his base either goes yeah i'm totally for you know the the cruelty or you know the 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 people who say well i accept the cruelty because either he's not a democrat or you know because he has other things that i like but you know and, and the way that i that i saw donald trump in terms of he I think he still holds a very, very strong hold on on Middle America, and that, yeah, and and what I what I, and, and I think that's because he sells sells a loader. You know what? Yeah, but you <laughs> know, and, and 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 just because he 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 would. He was the first political candidate in a long time who pretended to give a shit about them. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm not – he didn't, but he was the first one yeah. to, you know, you know, uh, Democrats but, are, you know, often criticized that they don't care about anything between I-5 and I-95. And yeah. I think for a large – you know, for many establishment Republicans, that was also the case. But, you know, Donald Trump was the first one to look at, you know, people in Michigan and Ohio and say, you know, Pennsylvania. It, and I mean, the, if you think Donald Trump is popular in, in 
in outstate Minnesota. I've heard it's absolutely just insanity in, in some of these other Rust Belt states that yeah, you, go, yeah. you go out in the in the rural parts of those states, and it's just they absolutely adore Donald yeah, Trump. They have flags and they have you know all this stuff. But I, I just want to end the show with one statement, and I and and this is what I want everybody to get out of this. If it is, if you're right, and it is Donald Trump. They have to look at the last four years you – know, well, the four years of his presidency. What did what happened in the four years of his presidency? The only thing that was accomplished, if you want to call it that, was what? That he cut taxes for very rich people like himself because, again, a narcissist only wants uh, things to happen for him. Everything is about him. So when he finally did that – he didn't do anything for those poor white people. He did nothing for them. But they seemed to think that he did. And it's amazing to me how they were hoodwinked into believing that um, they got something out of that. <laughs> Does that make sense, Patrick? Yep, yep. Anyway, Patrick, unfortunately, <laughs> we've come to the end of the show. And um, again, I'd like to thank you so much for for spending some time with me and sharing your thoughts and, again, sharing your personal journeys with the audience. Um, And for more about Patrick Lilia, you can follow him on Twitter at Highwayman3561. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I got the old one. I fixed it. (laughs) Um, And again, thank you so much for coming on the Downright Upright show today. And to the listeners, thank you for spending time with us today. And please stay tuned for more of the Downright Upright show in the near future. This is your host, Philip Anthony, saying ciao for now. Thank you.